First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 is where we're going to be in just a moment. The passage from First Peter and the sermon today is about holiness. More specific, it's about the command for us as God's people to be holy. Now, if you haven't been with us for a few weeks, or maybe this is your first time at Grace, you need to know that there is some background to this command to be holy. We've been focusing on that for several weeks now, but if you're new, or if you haven't been for a while, you're, you're jumping in to the command. But there's more to it than just the command. There is a backstory. The command to be holy has a very important place in the whole redemptive story of God's grace. And the command to be holy plays a very important role in the life of a Christian. So as we read today, we're going to hear the command. And we hopefully will see the place, the purpose, and the role of this command in our lives as the followers of Jesus. And what I also am praying that you will see is the beauty keep that word in mind the beauty of the command the beauty of holiness so start listening for that as we read together if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word I'll read from first Peter chapter 1 verse 13 and following therefore preparing your minds for action And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is God's word. You may be seated. The main exhortation and command from this passage that we're going to focus on today is to be holy. Christians are called to a holy life. And this is real and it is relevant for today. And it is a serious call. This is a serious call for a Christian because it's the call that gets us to Christ 
by showing that we aren't holy. And we can't be holy on our own, and so we desperately need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We need grace. It's a serious call because being holy shows God's grace in our lives. Without God's grace, we would never become a Christian. And we would never make any progress in holiness or Christ-likeness on our own. This is a serious call to a Christian because it is God's purpose for making us Christians. The whole reason that God saved us is that we would be like Christ. As C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, that we would be little Christs, not little deities, but humans with transformed human nature being conformed to the image and the character of Jesus Christ. This is why he saved us. This is a serious call, the call to holiness. It's a serious call for the Christian because by holiness, we glorify God. Let your light shine before all men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. By holiness, we, we see God pursue peace and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's a serious call. But while it's a serious call, it's also a beautiful call. Because it's a call to see the beauty, the perfection of God. It's a call to have the beauty of Christ formed in us, in the hidden person of the heart. Holiness is God's beauty. Being made holy like Christ is our beauty. So we're going to talk today about being holy. I'm going to use the often used technique for the passage, for the outline, very simple, who, what, why, and how. Who are we? What are we to do? Why are we to do it? How are we going to do it? I'm so less concerned about the outline than I am that the message, the message of God's holiness and his call to us and his grace to get us there would come through today. First, who are we? Verse 14, we, we, we covered verse 13, setting our hope on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ last week. So we pick up today in verse 14, who are we? It says, as obedient children. These are clearly the children of God, not just obedient children to the parents, although you're hoping that's the case, right, parents? This is the obedient children of God. The elect exiles, the chosen sojourners, according to the foreknowledge of God, verses 1 and 2. Verse 17, he says, these people call on God as their father. So he's talking about the relationship of children to the heavenly father. Holiness is characteristic of those who are the children of God. And we would say who are already the children of God. Holiness is not to be used on our part to become the children of God. Holiness is the characteristic 
of the children of God who are so by God's grace. Holiness is what those who are born again to a living hope grow up to be. A child is born and grows up into an adult. Christians are people who are born again, and now we're growing into Christ's likeness. We're growing into the holiness that God has saved us to become. Children becoming like their father. Children becoming like the only begotten son of the father who is our model brother, Jesus Christ. The obedient children, he calls them, they are also, we could call them the children of obedience, are those who, who are we? Who are these children? He's already told us, starting back at the beginning, the chosen of God, born again by the Spirit, cleansed by Christ, given the hope of an inheritance and the glory that is to come, now living in this world as children, but sojourners like pilgrims in this world with various trials and testings of faith, The children are the people who are prepared in the minds for action, sober-minded, setting our hope on the grace that is to be brought to us. These children, in short, are simply Christians. That's the definition. But what about faith? Where does faith come in? Interestingly, one of the roles of the call to be holy in our lives is to drive us to faith in Christ. Of course, we become a Christian by faith. Holiness is what drives us there. Follow this line of reasoning. God has moral commands for people because God is morally perfect. It's part of his holiness. He's morally perfect. These moral commands address to all of humanity, by the way. God's moral commands are for everybody. Follow me. The moral commands address both behavior and heart, the heart from which the behavior flows. Think of a few of the Ten Commandments. Don't have an idol. Don't make an image of God. Why? Because from the heart you're to love God and love God only. And we're to love God as He is, not as we want Him to be and therefore make Him. Another one, don't murder There's the command. There's the behavior. Why? Because we're to love the image of God in a person. And we're to love the person, our neighbor. Another one, don't commit adultery. There's the behavior. Why? Because we love God. And because we love our spouses. And that supplants our lust. Don't steal. Why? Because we trust God to provide what we need and we're content with what God gives us and we love our neighbor. You see, the point is to be holy in the behavior and in the heart. Now, if you're perceptive and you're really interested in these things and you're really going to think about them, then you're going to quickly come to realize that you can't do this. Now, you might get a few of the commands right. You might get some of the behaviors on a good day, but the heart and every one of the commands, and then you realize, I'm unholy. I can't do all of this. It's too much. The weight of it is too much. I'm going to break under it. 
When this happens, the conscience of a person becomes what we call convicted. It means painfully aware of our unholiness and our sin. So what do you do? Well, we can, we can try to shut that down by saying, well, I don't believe in God. Or I don't, I don't believe in all these commands. That's, it's just a way of shutting down the conscience. Or we can try to relieve some of this pressure on our conscience by saying, well, those, these things aren't really sinful. They're just natural desires. It's just what comes normal and natural to a human. It's okay. Or maybe we just try to avoid the whole topic by getting really busy and distracting ourselves with stuff. Or maybe, maybe you just tighten up your shoelaces and you get yourself some more rules and you just keep at it. Or you can admit, you can admit that you are a sinner and that you are unholy. And then you can look to Christ and you can understand that the only truly holy one who ever lived died for your sins. He died on the cross in your place. He took the punishment of your unholiness on himself for the purpose of removing it from you as a barrier to God. And you can repent of your sin. And you can repent of your unholiness. And you can throw the full weight of your trust on to Jesus Christ to forgive you and cleanse you and set you right with God and make you his child. That is faith. And that is how you become a child of God. And that is how the call to holiness gets you there. It gets you there because you can't do it and because you need a Savior and Jesus is your Savior. And then when you become a child of God, by grace through faith alone, not by your holiness, as a child, you take up the command, in the New Testament, by the way, to be holy. That's who we are. Second, what do we do? Well, it tells us, verses 14 through 16, be holy. Now, there's a positive side of that. There's a negative side of that. Let's take the negative first, verse 14. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That is a phrase that needs some unpacking. There's a do not part to holiness, by the way. Isn't it, are you hearing what I'm hearing? Are you hearing how counter this is to everything we naturally think and want and are discussing in our day. The Bible is telling you something not to do. How dare it? <laughs> because it's God speaking. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So let's unpack that. Let's start with former ignorance and go backwards. Former ignorance. 
So that's offensive to me. Well, that's probably good. The point is to drive us somewhere. Former ignorance is our lives, our life, your life, mine. The state of not knowing, ignorance, not knowing God. The state of not knowing the things of God. The, thing, the state of not knowing the way, the truth, and the life. We're ignorant. Ignorance, though, is not an excuse. How many times have you said, you can't blame me, I just didn't know. You get pulled over. You're going 20, 25 miles over the speed limit. Officer says, did you realize how fast you're going? I didn't know the speed limit. Usually it doesn't work. He says, ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance on our part of not knowing God, not knowing the way, the truth, and life is not an excuse for our unholiness. It's just a description. Our former ignorance, before you became a child of God, a Christian, before you were born again, passions, desires, feelings, reasonings of the self-life, of the unregenerate, unborn-again life were your guiding principles. And they led to all manner of sinful thinking and conduct in the heart and in the behavior. Now, the New Testament gives us several lists of these passions. There's a lot of them. The passions of our former ignorance is the phrase that Peter is using. But the New Testament gives us many of these lists. None of them are exhaustive. But here's one from the book of Galatians chapter 5. He calls them, Paul there calls them the works of the flesh. Not just the passions of our former ignorance, but the works of the flesh. He says they are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, and you say, mine got left out, he finishes, things like these. Do not be conformed to these. That's what Peter says in the text here. These things do not reflect the character and the nature of God. These things are not consistent with who God in his grace and mercy and love made us to be. And then who he remade us through the rebirth to be. These things violate God's commands. Doing these things reveals that we are rebellious in spirit against God. And he saved us for something important and serious and beautiful. And that's why he says, don't be conformed to these things. Do not let them identify you as the new person that you are in Christ. Do not let them characterize your conduct as the new person you are in Christ. Do not conform. Holiness is the true nonconformity. 
It is non-conformity to unholiness and to sin. It is non-conformity to our natural, unregenerate passions and desires. Brothers and sisters, as obedient children, now let's understand that holiness in this life is progressive. It goes on and on and becomes more and more as we live life. Let's understand that there are going to be ongoing battles with the passions and the desires of our former ignorance. And let's not play around with what is former. Let's not conform to it either in practice or in our identity. We are Christ's children. Don't be conformed. That's the negative side of the command, what what we're supposed to do. The positive side, verses 15 and 16, is rather be holy. Now, he says a lot about that too. He says, as he who called you is holy. He who called you is God, and God is holy. What does that mean? Now, let me encourage you right now. Do not let your mind shut down. Whenever a topic comes up that you can't comprehend, you may have the temptation to just shut down. A lot of things wake my mind up, but when I hear an astrophysicist start talking, I shut down. I say the first, wow, and then I'm gone. (laughs) I'm gone somewhere except where he's talking about. And maybe that's the way it is with you. And the holiness of God. It's beyond us. You can't get your head around it. And so we just shut down. Well, here's a way of thinking about God's holiness that might be helpful. It might wake up the mind this morning. I'll just give it in a sentence and we'll try to unpack it. God's holiness is the perfection of all his attributes combined into a single description of his nature. God's holiness is the perfection of all his attributes combined into a single description of his nature, okay? Every attribute of God is perfect and good, every one of them. Everything you say about God, everything you can think about, everything about God that is, is absolutely perfect and good. And holiness refers to the perfect goodness of all those attributes in one person, God. That's who he is, it's what he is, and that's what makes God so beautiful. God is beautiful. Unlike any beauty we will ever create. A beauty that we cannot get our minds around. Why, how can we say God is beautiful? What does beauty look like? It looks like absolute perfection in all every attribute belonging to God all together in one being it's the dominant theme throughout the whole Bible the book of Leviticus there's one you speed read sped read speed read through didn't you the book of Leviticus all of those laws every time I read them what is the point of all these laws they reflect perfection the perfection 
of God. They show the demand for a righteous one, a sacrificial lamb to atone for the sins because God is so holy. They show, the Bible shows that eternity will acknowledge the holiness of God. He who called you is holy. Verse 15, so you also be holy in all of your conduct. Now what does that mean? It means, it does not mean, let me tell you what it does not mean. For us to be holy as God is holy does not mean that we become God. There's a little interesting and important point of theology, okay? Human beings never become God. Human beings never get grafted into God as if we become part of God. God is always God and only God is God and humans are always humans and we're only going to be humans. Redeemed ones, glorified ones, but humans. What does it mean then for us to be holy as God is holy? He who called you is holy, so you also be holy. This means that God is holy, so you're to be holy. It means that God's way of being holy is to be God. God is God. In his being and his nature, he's holy. And it means that we are to be holy in God's way for us to be holy, which is not to be God, but to be, but to be conformed to the image in character of his son, Jesus Christ. So be holy as God is holy does not mean we become God. It means that only God is God, holy, but we are holy in God's way for us, which is to be conformed to the image of his son in our character. We are redeemed. We will always remain human, but we are to take on the character of Jesus Christ. This is our beauty. This is what makes the church beautiful. As the church is conforming to the image of Christ, as you as a Christian are conforming to the image of Christ, this is your beauty. Beauty, beauty really is more than just the external. It's more than just the physical look. It's the hidden person of the heart being conformed to Christ. And that person is growing in beauty. As God is holy in God's way, we are to be holy in the way God has for us to be holy. Verse 15, he says, be holy in all of your conduct. Oh, this is so important. There's so many correctives. There's so many correctives going on in this passage to our culture and to even Christians. Here's one. He says, be holy in your conduct. Conduct, behavior, real world in a real body actions and activities really do matter it matters we're not Gnostics it's a philosophical word it's a movement a philosophical movement that emphasized spirit over matter or spirit over body it's a long development but here's cut to the chase it says this the Gnostics would say at least one branch of them would say that you can have a spiritual knowledge without bodily obedience. This body doesn't matter, only spirit matters, so let's have our minds exalted, let's have spiritual thinking, let's sit around and do whatever we want to do as we talk about big philosophical concepts, 
But none of it has to touch the way we actually live our lives in this world. Because the body doesn't matter. That is not us. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith says that we are soul and body created by God. We are souls in a body or we are bodies with a soul, however you want to say it. But holiness means that we are holy in the heart and in the behaviors of the body. Here's another corrective. We are not neutral, neutral selves in search of an identity that's based on our feelings that then gets worked out in our conduct. That's not who we are. If we live that way, we will be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. We, rather, are human beings created in the image of God, fallen due to our own sin, redeemed by Jesus Christ's blood, forgiven of our sins, made the children of God, now conforming to the will of God in how we actually live in these bodies. That's who we are. We pattern and conform our new lives after the will of God that is revealed to us in the Word, the Bible, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, in both our heart and heart and mind and in our conduct. As children, we obey God our Father. We set ourselves apart, soul and body, to do His will. That's what it means to be holy. That's what we're called to be. Third, why? Why are we to be holy? Several reasons, beginning in verse 16. First of all, because it is written. It is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Who's talking? God? Where'd that come from? Leviticus, the Old Testament, verse 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 44. God is holy, it says. God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. These people, Israel, belong to him because they belong to him, because they are redeemed by him. They are to be holy as he is holy. And this remains true for the Christian. It remains true for the church today as our holiness now is to become like Christ. Peter and Paul knew this. They understood the Old Testament. That's why they remained true to it. That's why they preached from it. They properly understood that the Old Testament is revealing the character and the nature of God as holy. They properly understood that the Old Testament is foreshadowing the work of God in Christ to fulfill the law's demand to atone for unholiness and sin before a holy God by means of a substitutionary sacrificial lamb that is the cross of Jesus Christ. They saw this. They understood that the Old Testament was promising that God was redeeming a people, a church, his own possession, who would be holy unto him and proclaim his excellencies. We are delivered from our sin and our unholiness by the cross of Jesus Christ. It is written, and therefore we are to be holy. It is written. Why are we to be holy? Because it's written. Why else are we to be holy? Because the one we call our Father is holy and He judges with no partiality. Verse 17. 
Some see this judgment as a time of reward and rebuke for believers according to their deeds that is to come. They see it in the future, maybe so. Others, I'm referring here to one that I read this week by Wayne Grudem, others see this, this judgment referred to in verse 17 as the present assessment that God does of the deeds and the conduct of his children and he disciplines them when they sin. I think this, he makes a great case for this and I think this is the case because in chapter four of 1 Peter, Peter says that the discipline, the judgment begins in the household of God. Why are we holy? Because our heavenly father is holy and he disciplines those whom he loves. The point is that God cares. He cares about what we're doing. He's not an absent parent. He's not a permissive parent. God's not scared of us. Parents can be afraid of their children and therefore not discipline their children. God is not scared of us. He loves us. He loves us. And he loves us enough to discipline us for our holiness. And that's why we pursue holiness. We want to please our heavenly father. He's our father. Verse 17 uses a word that we don't like to use. He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile or your sojourning. We should fear not being pleasing to God. There's a place for godly fear in the life of a Christian. We should absolutely respect the holiness of God. I grieve when I don't. We should have absolute respect for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins and therefore not want to remain in those sins because Christ died for those sins. We should have respect for the discipline of God. Fear, awareness, that we might prove ourselves not to even be his if we persist in the passions of our former ignorance. Fear, the fear of the Lord, proper fear, serves as a means of grace to call us to holiness. Why should we be holy? Because our Heavenly Father disciplines us for holiness. And thirdly, we should be holy because Christ died for us. We should be holy for Christ's sake. Verse 18, this is such a beautiful word. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers by the precious blood of Christ. Why should we be holy? We should be holy and seek to be holy because Christ died in our place. He delivered us 
from that former feudal way of the paganism of our forefathers. You might be saying, now wait a minute, my father and my grandfather were godly people. They weren't pagans, to which we would say, just keep going back. And every one of us will eventually get to pagans. People who were ignorant of God and did not know God. Christ delivered us from this. Christ delivered us from the wrath of God against our sin and our unholiness. Christ ransomed us from that. Christ ransomed us for God. He brought us to God. It's like saying he brought us out of slavery. He brought us out of bondage, free, presented us to God and said, here's your new family, here's your new father. Be holy. Here's the new life of beauty that God has called you to. I'm bringing you into your true humanity. I wish, don't you wish we could see this? Our true humanity is not the expression of every errant desire in our hearts. Our true humanity is when we come into Christ and are forgiven and walk with our Father and become what He wants us to be, Christ-like. Christ died for this. Oh, we want to respect this and love this and pursue this. And Christ was revealed in these times from all of eternity, he was foreknown to be this. And 2,000 years ago, he stepped into human history and was made manifest. And today, he's being proclaimed in the gospel to all the nations right now that it is time to become his and it is time to become holy. And verse 21, Christ is our reason for faith. He is our hope in God. Christ brought us to God, cleansed us, clothed us in his righteousness as holy people. And so now we believe, now we hope, and now we love his holiness and the call to it. And finally, how? How are we to be holy? Well, I know you want a formula. I wish I had one. But I've got something really, I wish, I, really I don't wish I had one. I'm glad I don't have one. I've got something a whole, we've got something a whole lot better. We have a relationship with Almighty God. A relationship that requires us to think and pray and assess and repent and believe and to rest in grace and to pursue and to engage with God. How, how can we exhort ourselves to pursue holiness today? It would be this, just take hold of everything that we've said. Just take it all home, just go home with First Peter, reread it. Remember, remind yourself who you are, you're a child of God. Did you watch the baptism today? Why is that public? Why is that baptism public? In part for the person being baptized to say publicly, I believe in Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, it's public so that you and I will watch it again. And once again, remind ourselves who we are, that we belong, that we've been cleansed. Take hold of this. Take hold of the command. Remember the command to be holy, to be conformed to Christ. Set that right there in front of you. 
is the whole aim of your life. Remember why you're doing it. You see the truth. Take it all in. Just rehearse it. Remind yourselves of it. Remember it. Take hold of it. And then set yourself in the direction of holiness. Look at Christ. You say, I don't know how to do this. Just give me a formula. No. No. With the eyes of your heart. With the eyes of your heart. Put Christ before you. Read about him. Pray to him. See him. Meditate upon him. You become like what you worship. Worship him. And then take each day. Wake up tomorrow morning. Face another day. Another set of circumstances in your life. And you say, Father, today is another step in the direction of being like Christ. It's another day. Yesterday didn't go so well. It's okay. Let yesterday go. Take up today. I'm going forward. Another step of obedience. Another step toward holiness. Another step toward Christ-likeness. The Spirit is in me. I've got the Word. I've got my aim. I know what's up. I've got the truth. Let's go. Take the long view. This is a lifetime, brothers and sisters. Take the long view. Confess when you fail. Just confess that you failed. Cling to grace. Thank you, Father, that in my failure, you will never leave me or forsake me. That you are with me. Set your hope on the grace that is to come. You know what the grace that is to come is? It is that you will be holy. You will be holy. You will be like Christ when he comes. Set your hope there. To God be the glory.